0: It's time for another episode of The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this time, buddy, we want to celebrate Women's History Month in March with a suggestion from my daughter, my eldest, Jessica, also known as Jessica Boobs, the artist. She's quite the artist in the family. She thought it'd be great for us to talk about Riot Girl, the movement and everything attached to it, as we remember those women who stood up at a tough time, especially in the rock community especially in the Northwest, as guys were kind of like being macho, the women inside the rock scene didn't feel so good about how things were. A lot of them felt endangered and it turned out there was a reason that they should.
1: But in the history of rock and roll, women have always been scorned, underpaid, mistreated, abused, and women like the Runaways, women like Janis Joplin, women like Grace Slick, Joni Mitchell, women like Kim Gordon, all so many women that were important in standing up for themselves, and their art. Pat Benatar, another one who took on these issues and just smacked people upside the head with them and says, we gotta talk about them. And These women were all Debbie Harry, another one, very important in speaking out Chrissy Hine. I mean, the list goes on and on, and we could continue to talk about this huge list, but that history is what brings us to the Riot Girls in the late 80s and early 90s. Seattle in the Northwest was so alive with music and the buzz, and it was so cool what was coming out of there.
0: Now, one of those bands was Bikini Kill, and what was essentially a band pamphlet turned into the Riot Girl Manifesto, and it's kind of lengthy. You'll find the link in the information for this episode to the full thing, but basically, it's a declaration By the women. We're not putting up with the shit you've been putting us through just because we're punk rockers and you don't want us here.
1: It makes no sense because if you really look at the punk ethos, there shouldn't have been this issue in punk at all anyways. Everybody should have been cool with it and it shouldn't have been some sort of patriarchal system or patriarchy that allowed for the mistreatment of women or anybody else for that matter. Other dudes.
0: The initial Riot Girl movement is based in Washington State. Olympia is generally considered the uh, focal point. Okay, but in Riot Girl is a reaction to the massive macho testosterone-fueled success of the rock bands in Seattle there in the previous several years, right? Yes. And had they not been mistreated or marginalized, perhaps they might not have reacted in such a Riot Girl kind of way. If you know what I'm saying.
1: I mean, think about it. When men express anger, rage or frustration, it's okay. But when women do it, it's this big taboo and it really makes no
0: sense. What we really need to talk about is what was going inside the male dominated rock scene, domestic abuse, sexual assault, racism, patriarchy, classism, even within the rock and roll and punk rock communities. And yes, rape. Now, I mentioned Bikini Kill because they're probably the band out of all of these that grabbed my ears the most, and it turns out they're one of the spokes bands as well. But also, bands like Bratmobile or Heavens to Betsy, Excuse 17 or Slant 6, Emily's Sassy Lime, I like that name, Huggy Bear, these are all bands that were part of that initial Riot Girl thrust. And then the first splinter was Queercore with Team Dresh and Third Sex. A lot of stuff happening, and people were just basically standing up and saying, "Hey, I'm just sticking up for me and mine." And by the way, that website that the Riot Girl Manifesto is on is called HistoryIsAWeapon.com. You'll find it there. And about Kathleen Han's pamphlet, remember, America itself and the ongoing political changes in our country and world can be linked to documents just like hers. Like so many bands in the Seattle region, the Seattle scene, the Northwest. Bands came and went, members came and went, but that was not the case for Bikini Kill. They're from Olympia. A lot of bands that we follow or people that we followed in the uh, bands from Seattle from Olympia, started up in October of 1990, and then they went for about seven years, broke up for ten, and then came back for a couple years, and still playing some gigs out there apparently. Bikini Kill, Kathleen Hanna, we mentioned her, and the pamphlet, Billy Karen on guitar, Kathy with an I, Wilcox on bass, and Toby Vale on drum. They're the core of Bikini Kill, great name, I think, and they sound really great.
1: They were all college mates together at Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, which had a huge art culture throughout the 80s and 90s. They met when... Vail booked uh, Hannah's band Go Team, and at the same time, Vail was writing the jigsaw zine, working with her friend Kathy Wilcox. Uh,
0: and okay. so
1: everybody met, and they must have felt that they had this really nice chemistry together potential mm-hmm. chemistry and very punk rock and attitude, and started playing. And obviously, they really liked what they had.
0: And they got the name, I found out, from a movie called The Million Eyes of Sumaru," a 1967 B-movie, and the poster is a hoot, man. And you'll never guess who's the star of that cinema verite. Who? Frankie Avalon!
1: No way. No yep. way. <laughs> way. <laughs> That's hilarious.
0: You never know where inspiration is going to come from for a band name. And uh, they broke up and came back together a little bit. And It's good to see that they're still working towards girl. You know what I mean? Getting the point across. And some of the things that happened in Seattle, in that very scene where a lot of the Riot Girl movement is beginning, is what you could see as a terrible reaction. And that's the murder and rape of Mia Zapata the Gets
1: i remember being informed when that happened and being shocked because we had heard about this band and heard some of their tunes and i really liked them a couple friends who turned me on to them really liked them and we didn't get a chance to see them because they were getting ready to sign a major label deal and hit the road When she was raped and murdered. And for a long time, that murder remained unsolved. Thankfully, Joan Jett and Eddie Vedder were very key in keeping the investigation alive. They were fundamental in raising money. Joan Jett did an album, a live album, with the members of the Gits called Evil Stig, which I still have, and it's fantastic. And it was her fronting the Gits, playing the Gits songs. They did it as a fundraiser. And then thanks to DNA testing, Monster Dude was in prison in Florida and his DNA was on file there and they were running the DNA through and it matched.
0: And the update in science caught up to this creep and they finally got justice for me. Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm so glad that that investigation was kept alive. And Joan Jett and Eddie Vetter were fundamental in making sure that investigation was kept alive as were the members of the riot girls and the entire seattle community and the police officers who stuck with it also we appreciate the work that they did in finding the murder because it was a murder that had to be solved
0: from the time it happened in july of 1993 until it was solved and resolved justice was served, it became a rallying cry for the ethos of the riot girl movement. Everything they were talking about made sense to most people, but you know, there's still some people here in the 21st century, Marcus, that just don't quite understand what the hell this whole thing is about, why there's still a reason to have this kind of a public outcry about things. And it's mainly because it just keeps going on underneath all the headlines of the shootings and everything else. This kind of shit's still going on out there, and women still have to have active voices to counter all of it.
1: Absolutely. And as we've seen in Hollywood, the women who spoke up against Harvey Weinstein, many of them were blacklisted or blackballed from big pictures after that. Wow. And to say that they weren't is baloney sandwiches. And if you think mm-hmm. that stuff doesn't happen in other industries, if you are a whistleblower and you speak up, no matter what industry you're in, most likely you're going to get blackballed or it's going to be very, very difficult and challenging for you to get a job. That's the reality.
0: Around this same time, queer core became a thing, like a, a subgenre of all the things that were happening. And the gay box it was in made some straight Americans feel more comfortable with people who were beginning to expand that box. And musically, it was being expressive. In ways that people were starting to get comfortable with, except for that small portion you can never quite reach. In some ways, the way that people viewed being gay was changing at the same time as the music attached to it was, and punk provided some of the fuel for the fire of change to create the LGBTQ rainbow. Bye-bye.
1: I'm glad that Queer Corps came out of this because this whole... Riot Girl movement Really had an impact On the direction Of punk in general You had bands Like Green Day That were forming The Offspring That were in their Early days Down South So punk was really Changing from the Hardcore scene Of the 80s And as we were Rolling into the 90s You had All the fringe bands Too that were The bridge between Punk and metal And alternative And we got lucky That bands like Bikini Kill And Bratmobile And Slater Kill. Kinney and the Gets and so many other bands in the '90s were doing what they were doing and speaking up because it really helped open people's eyes and ears to issues that we need to talk about. And the dudes weren't doing it, so the women had to step up and bring these issues to the table.
0: It's the imbalanced history of rock and roll. It is Women's History Month. It is Riot Girl on the podcast. Time for a pause. want to thank our sponsors as always Marcus for all their support in making this whole thing work. When we come back, let's talk more about the music of the initial riot girl movement and some of the other offshoots that have come up through the decades here in the winter time. You still need a great sock because you're going to find a way to work out. Like when it got warm the other day and you told me you were going for a ride, you know, you got to have great socks. And since they started sponsoring our podcast last year, I know. When you hit the road, you've got a pair of boldfoot socks on those feet.
1: I do. I love my boldfoot socks. Whether I'm riding outdoors or spinning on a spin bike, they wick the sweat off my feet so I don't get that mushy, yucky, swampy foot feel after doing something athletic. And when it's 40, 50 degrees, and the wind can drop the temperature down another 10. Having a sock like Boldfoot on to keep your foot a little warmer makes a big difference when you ride.
0: Sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I can hear Marisa working out downstairs, and I know that she's got her Boldfoot's working overtime when she's working out with Jillian, you know? Definitely. Whether you're working out or going for a ride, or if you're an aggressive walker, you got to check out boldfoot.com.
1: You can pick your design, they have so many to choose from and a portion of all sock sales go directly to veterans charities and of course all socks are made in the USA.
0: Veteran owned American-sown. It's Boldfoot socks. Thanks for the support gang. It's always great to stop here in the middle of the Imbalance History podcast and have a little pint at Crooked Eye in the heart of Hapro, pouring the cure for what ails you since twenty fourteen. But that doesn't say much about what they are and what they do.
1: Crooked Eye is one of those brew pubs that is really tight within the community. And you really get a warm, friendly vibe when you walk in there. They've always got music. There's food now because of the Salty Vets Barbecue, and they keep... Bringing out new brews on a regular basis as well as the old standbys. The
0: winter brews are on the board. Go in and have one and check out some of that Salty Vets barbecue as well. And the entertainment at Crooked Eye, it's always changing, so follow them on Facebook and Twitter.
1: Grab some friends, grab a date, head on over to Crooked Eye for some lovely beers and wonderful food and great atmosphere.
0: In the heart of Hatboro, pouring the cure for what ails you. They are Crooked Eye Brewery we thank them for their support of the imbalanced podcast for about a million years now.
2: Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycon's, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function,
1: We're back and recharged and ready to continue our conversation about Riot Girls and the music. Before we jump back into it, I want to make sure that we touch on the fact that their songs were brash. They were filled with humor, but they were poignantly sharp and very on point as well. And these Riot Girl bands really did a great job bringing their frustrations and angers out through humor. And the music. A lot of times with these punk bands Was more upbeat and boppy And made you want to dance So it was like you were dancing While you were getting lectured Or while you were being made aware of something
0: I'm glad you got the dichotomy of that, man
1: It's just so cool And there's so many great songs Like talking about Bikini Kill I love the fact that bands like them Were using names of songs like Pussy Whipped So that we could uh, destigmatize Some of these words And make them so common that they couldn't be used as insults or uh things like that and they would uh use makeup and write slut and whore across their body when they were on stage and they would try to get these words out there so much that they would become so uh destigmatized and it was very smart of them to do that as well
0: and you know it's not just posing marcus songs like carnival which is basically about getting paid for giving carny head Rebel Girl, which is, you know, them basically giving the middle finger to the world, Double Darius, songs like these all have a theme, all are potent, and very much able to get the message across because of their listenability.
1: Good stuff very good stuff, and you also had like Bratmobile. couple of their tunes that were really good cry baby which was with members of vixen did a great song called destroy boys le tigre had a song called decepticon that i was turned on to I was really impressed with a lot of the music that the research led me to. It was fun. It was good. It was smart. The songs were well put together and they're fun to listen to.
0: There's a lot of bands under this whole umbrella, Marcus. Too many to really mention, but you hit on Heavens to Betsy and Bratmobile And there were a few others that I saw that were all associated on this long list, really, which tells me that even though a lot of people might not understand or fully get it now, there was once an explosion behind this ethos that made it lasting impact. And I want to put forth the idea that aside from the place where grunge met punk met Riot Girl, L7 being maybe the best example of that, and a band that most people have heard of, do you remember Shitlist? Yeah. I love it, man. It's so good. It came right back to me.
1: Great song. I got to see them live a couple times. Really good band live. And they were fun and they were great live. It was a lot of fun to
0: see them live. And they were pre Riot Girl, but they kind of fit right in there. Oh, the other one was called Andre. What yep. a cool song, man. Mm-hmm. Anyways, there's just something that uh, kind of fit right in there. I'm talking about music that feels the same as a lot of the stuff that I like, like Bikini Kill that came from the Riot Girl movement. Courtney
1: Love, even though she was associated with the Riot Girl movement in whole, she did not like to be considered lumped in that group because she even said publicly, you know, I like a lot of what they stand for, but a lot of the bands in the Riot Girl movement can't play their instruments and aren't very good. And we continue to practice and practice and practice and try to beat the bands that we're competing against and be better than them by playing our instruments and doing our craft the best we can
0: and that's all fine except for she denigrated other women who are trying to stand up to the kind of getting stood on my neck shit that we were talking about and that was one Mm -hmm. of the things that pissed me off back then and that's why the question i had is courtney their queen really the answer is no because i mean You and I have been talking about this. Was Kurt Cobain a riot girl? And your answer was?
1: Yes, I believe that he was because he had ended interviews with radio people who had called women chicks or asked them about if he like bangs groupies or anything like that on tour and he'd walk out of interviews or else he would just turn into total like FU mode and didn't like that type of talk at all. If you uh, marginalized homosexuals in any way, he ended the interview as well. He Mm -hmm. was totally a riot girl and a completely good person who did not understand the
0: okay so given that that is the case shouldn't courtney be their queen she had that sound she had kurt and a top-selling band but now with the quote you gave about her view of them i understand why that connection didn't happen except that's just what all the other bands said about the ramones and all the other punks when that was breaking out so that's it's just one of those things that makes my head spin, Marcus. You understand what I'm saying?
1: She definitely, I don't think, fits in that mold. I think she's more about herself in a lot of ways. No. And because she's more about herself, she doesn't fit with the values of what the Riot Girls stand for.
0: Hey, you know what I really liked when I was listening to this cool playlist of Riot Girl stuff? The Slits take on Herded Through the Grapevine... I-
1: that's interesting because the only other female version I've ever heard of that song is Gladys Knight and the pips doing it. And Mm. when she did it, she sang it with a sense of relief. Like, Oh, I'm so glad I found out I am free now. I am going to be better. And, and don't get me wrong. The anger needs to be heard. So to hear it from an angry standpoint as well, bonus.
0: Another question to ponder, Marcus without resorting to percentages per se, how important to women of today was or is the riot girl movement
1: i couldn't give you a percentage but i could say very important i think these bands while they didn't hit huge in the mainstream a lot of the bands that influence other musicians are bands that don't make it big and we've learned that from not only reading about it but talking to musicians as well and they're like yeah this small band that hardly anybody heard of really played a big part in my love for music and in my sound because I loved the way the guitar player played or the drummer hit or the way the singer was on stage. And so I think that if you look at some of the alternative in the 2000s and beyond, a lot of those women that fronted the alternative bands were not into the mainstream sound. So they were more likely to listen to like a Kim Gordon or a Bikini Kill or a Bratmobile or one of those bands.
0: See, I always think of bands that came before L7 would be a good example more recently, but you know, Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth, one of the greats of all time, and kind of like uh, Patti Smith, the punk rock poets, you know, she's that basic to the roots.
1: Very much so, and uh, Kim Gordon's held straight and true to her path the entire time she has been playing music from back true. in the day till now. Mad respect for Kim Gordon and her music and her work. Sonic Youth is one of my all-time favorite bands.
0: Another one of my questions to ponder in this Riot Girl episode, Marcus, were the Runaways just purely because of when it happened. The original Riot Girls, femme punks, call them whatever you want. And not to mention that all of them individually are icons to a lot of young punk rock women.
1: I think. They played the system more than fought the system, but I think that they made their voice heard and they made their voice known. Look at the careers Joan Jett and Lita Ford had moving forward and how big and fundamental they were in rock and roll in the 80s, so making their voices heard worked for them.
0: I guess that's why it's even a question whether they have any punk rock roots because they went in the directions that they went in solo art. Oh, absolutely. Just one of those crazy things that go through my head, Marcus. While the Runaways question may continue, I want to raise another point about a riot girl outbreak in England in the mid-1970s, and maybe it fits and maybe it doesn't. First, the raincoats and their version of lolo which is great when you think of all the gender bending, and that was way before Seattle and way before L.A. And that's bent the genders and then bent them back the raincoats and they were inspired to form by the slits who we've talked about, right?
1: And you also had Susie and the Banshees you also had the x-ray specs with polystyrene fronting them at that time and she was another big revolutionary in the females standing up for themselves in England at that time.
0: It wasn't just an American thing. It was happening everywhere, right? Anywhere there was rock and punk rock music happening and women were getting stepped on, they were standing up and saying, fuck off.
1: And rightly so.
0: And while I discovered those bands from the 70s, Marcus, I also found a wave of newer bands all over the world that are, I think, sonically at least, descendants of the Riot Girls. And that includes Amel and the Sniffers, who are an Australian band. And that's a reference to Anal Nitrate. And I don't know if you know all about Poppers and all that stuff, but that's one of the bands, and they're pretty cool. Hey, Doctor, And then there was this band Miss June, and I liked a couple of their songs, and I went in and looked for them, and I'm like, where are they from? Turns out, one of our foreign listening bases, they're from Auckland, New Zealand. And a band that we both chuckled about their name last week when we discovered this Taco Cat. Back to where the Riot Girl movement started in Seattle, and they're in uh, active mode, having started in 2007 and still recording for Sub Pop and Hardly Art Records. It's been I love the record labels that are associated with a lot of the stuff that's being recorded. Some of them, you know, like Rough Trade or ATO, you might know them, but Smells Like Records or Kill Rock Star Records, things like that I just love.
1: I think it's great that there were quite a few uh, female-run indie labels at that time period up in that area, as well as around the country and around the world that were pushing the Riot Girl music. I think it's so smart to do that, and it brings me to this quote that I found And it was done by Beth Ditto of the band Gossip. Check this woman out, Serious Pipes. And this is part of the forward to the 2000 book, Riot Girl, Revolution Girl Style Now. A movement formed by a handful of girls who felt empowered, who were angry, hilarious, and extreme through and for each other, built on the floors of strangers' living rooms, tops of Xerox machines, snail mail, word of mouth, and mixtapes, riot girl reinvented punk
0: we always say it but i'm certain this time around marcus we miss stuff and we may have gotten something wrong and that's why we always encourage you to reach out to us via email at imbalancehistory@gmail.com, at via our social media sites or through our website imbalancehistory.com, where you can also find all the episodes of the podcast so just saying man there's a lot there
1: we definitely left information out and missed things and have more research to do. And I know in the years ahead, we'd love to do more episodes about the Riot Girl bands because they're pretty awesome.
0: We often find a really good writer who's done a book about something and that'll prompt us to get into something. So maybe we need to find someone who knows that much more than we do about it and they can really help us to inform the audience here. Yep. On the Imbalance history
1: I checked uh, to see if Kathleen Hanna was available And she's in Australia with the band right now Touring and playing live Sweet. shows
0: Sweet, I'm so happy to hear that they're actually out Still doing it right now While we're doing this podcast Me too Till the next time we gather around the mics here At Dark Dock Media I'm Ray Coob.
1: I'm Marcus Goldman
0: This is the Imbalance history of Riot Girls, Rock
2: and Roll